0: This morning's first Bible reading comes from the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 to 18. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God my God where you die I will die and there I will be buried may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second reading is from the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, or the letter uh, of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 3, Verses 14 to 21, a prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being
2: Good morning everyone. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to preach um, and it's been great getting to know you and to be um, becoming part of the church family. My fascination with the story of Ruth and Naomi starts with a bit of an unfamiliar word and that word is wither and it's not just in case you were thinking it's not the wither in Minecraft which apparently is a player-constructed, undead, hostile, boss mob that floats and shoots uh, explosive skulls at people. So, not that wither, okay? That's a relief, isn't it? But it's also not the wither that describes what happens when a fruit shrivels or withers on a vine. Instead, it's wither with a silent H because the first time that I heard the story of Ruth read was from the authorised King James Version of the Bible. Let's listen to Ruth replying to Naomi in Ruth 1, verse 16 from that version. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And as I'm sure you've realized looking at me, I was very, very young when I first heard that. And I remember wondering what on earth that word wither meant. But actually at the time it didn't matter because something in that story of Ruth absolutely captivated me. It it warmed my heart and I was hooked. It was only later that I realized that wither meant where to, in the sense of where are we going on holiday to. So it has that sense of journey or of movement. And those of you who are German speakers will know that German has a word, "wohin", where do you go to, not just wo, which is where are you now. Anyway. Enough of that. Uh, This is the third in our series on uh, exploring encounters with God. And so I'm going to summarize where we're heading today with three points. And each of these three points is going to spell the word how. So uh, we've got how can we encounter God and how can we help others to do so. And each of the three words are going to match those letters. The first one's hesed, the second one is outsiders, and you'll be able to see that's a little bit bigger that that's a sheep, that's a different color from all the others. And the third one is, guess what, beginning with W, whither, where are we going to? Ruth is a very unusual book. There's no charismatic leader. There's no dramatic encounters with God like Jacob or like Moses that Jonathan's been telling us about. There's no enemies, there's no fighting. Nothing happens at all really. Uh, But apart from the fact that it's one of only two books in the Bible named after women, it seems really, really ordinary. So we're just going to read the beginning of Ruth, which was... Uh, the bit that happens uh, in the book before the part that's been read out. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimenek, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So the opening line of that book of Ruth reminds us of the dark and difficult days of Israel's judges. You remember, they were sort of administering the country. And we hear a story of a family fleeing their own country because of famine, because of lack of food, and becoming refugees in a foreign land. And sadly, if we stop to think, that's a very, very familiar situation today. We then discover that Elimenech and his family felt compelled to leave their hometown of Bethlehem in Judah. So that's a famous place in the future, isn't it, Bethlehem. And the fascinating thing is that Bethlehem means house of bread. So the fact that they had to leave somewhere named house of bread gives you some idea about what the situation was at the time. And they decided to travel to the neighboring country of Moab for food. That might seem like a bit of a surprising choice because the the Moabites had been perpetual enemies of Israel and no male Moabites were allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. But physically, Moab was in this green verdant valley and this valley was in the middle of a serious desert. And so it was like an emerald, if you can imagine it, an emerald in the sand. And as far as Elimelech and his family were concerned, beggars literally can't be choosers. So at first, as we've heard, everything goes really well. But then sadly, Elimelech, the father of the family, dies and Naomi becomes a widow. But sometime later, that mourning turns to joy as Naomi's two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But then... Ten years later, a double tragedy strikes the family as both sons die unexpectedly, leaving Naomi and her Moabite daughters-in-law mired in grief, without any children, and very, very vulnerable because they lacked any male support or protection. So let's pause for a moment to reflect on what those daughter-in-laws would have experienced in that family over those ten years. Over that time, they as Moabites would have had ample opportunity to observe the faith and religious practices of a devout Jewish family, people they'd probably never come across before. And Orpah and Ruth would have seen at first hand how worshipping the living God had shaped the lives of this extended family. They'd seen that in good times and in bad times. And for them, they could contrast that Jewish way of being and worshiping God against the background of the pagan worship that was the norm in Moab. So I wonder, how did it affect them? And as the story unfolds, we begin to get some clues Naomi hears that the famine's over in Bethlehem, and so she plans to return home. And her implicit assumption is that Orpah and Ruth will come with her, because they are part of her family. And then as Naomi goes home, they will come home too. So they set out to return to Judah. But as they're going along, Naomi suddenly begins to realize what the life might be like for those two daughters-in-law. She thinks about the fact that they're going to be unmarried foreign widows in Israel. And actually, that's going to be really, really tough for them. So she takes a bit of a momentous decision. She decides to stop and she says to them, don't come with me, go home, go back to Moab. We'll just have a quick look at this now. Then Naomi, said, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And that bit about the um, showing kindness is really, really important. And we'll just pause there and not use that second bit. Thank you. Because the word kindness here is a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. So have we got any Hebrew scholars in today? Anyone here? No? Jonathan, Jonathan knows about it. Tell us how to pronounce it, Jonathan. <laughs> There's a kind of sound at the beginning that I can't do, but it's kind of hesed, okay? But it, it's, when you transliterate it, it begins with an H. So what it usually means, although we've translated it, or the NLV's translated it as kindness, is it's usually translated as like a compound word, loving kindness. And it's used to describe the covenant relationship between God and his people or between individuals and others. So Chesed is the H in our word, how. But I'd like to unpack this little word a bit more because we don't come across it all the time. Hesed, God's hesed, is foundational to his character. It tells us so much of what he's like. It encompasses love, mercy, grace, kindness and goodness we don't have an English word to match it at all and it turns up in the book of Ruth three times and there are several ways of understanding what it means one of the really important things about it is it doesn't just mean a love you feel it's about actions it's about uh, doing something to show your love rather than just saying it the second thing is, is that hesed Uh, expresses loving kindness towards other people if you have chance to read the book of Ruth and we'll talk about that a little bit later you'll find that in the book nobody asks God to bless them them themselves they're always petitioning God to bless someone else so that's a characteristic of hesed we are uh, expressing loving kindness towards others And the third thing about hesed is it shows strong devotion, above and beyond the call of duty. So when you hear that word, think of those different aspects. Actions, genuine concern, and above and beyond the course, what's expected. And I like to think that when we heard that in the reading, that the reason Naomi chose that word hesed when she was addressing her daughters-in-law was first of all because she had experienced hesed for herself. She had experienced the loving kindness of God throughout her life. But the second thing, or the second reason, I think she chose that word was she wanted to honour what Orpah and Ruth had both done for her and for her sons but of course the other bit of the jigsaw is that over those years that they'd all been together as an extended family as we've talked about the others would have been able to experience how God's Hesed love had changed Naomi's life and they would have seen her putting it into action so let's take another moment to pause and to reflect on God's loving kindness to us this isn't just something that happened a long long time ago and of course the supreme example of hesed for us is God's gift of Jesus because Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection demonstrates God's loving kindness to us in action as we talked about on behalf of others as we mentioned, and of course, way beyond what we could have expected. Jesus being sent to the world, dying, being raised up, is an example, is the supreme example of God's loving kindness, his hesed, in action. And although that word isn't used in the New Testament, because the New Testament isn't written in Hebrew, much of it's written in Greek, Paul has absolutely caught on to what all this is about. And so we'll go back to the New Testament reading from Ephesians. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is such an amazing prayer and such a brilliant translation of God's love into current times. So we're going to literally pause for a minute now and I'd love you just for a minute to think about somebody who has shown you loving kindness. Have a think and just use this time to think about what it was about them that made it very special and to give thanks to God in your heart. So, we're back with Naomi, who's paused, who's stopped on her journey to Bethlehem. She obviously didn't want to travel home alone, but as we've read, she knew she was too old to find another husband, there wasn't going to be time, even if she could have children for them to grow up. She also realized that Orpah and Ruth would likely be viewed with suspicion as outsiders in Israel. So once again, she urges her daughters to go back to their own people. And this time, it's a little bit different because Orpah complies. Which brings me to the second of our words, outsiders. That's the O of how. And as you can see, there's a really quite lovely black sheep in the middle of all the white ones. But being an outsider often isn't uh, a nice place to be, is it? Naomi and her family had been outsiders in Moab, and now it looked like Ruth was going to be an outsider in Israel. And as an outsider, how do you feel? You, you don't fit in, people look down on you, people treat you differently, you're used to being excluded. It's not great, is it? It's not a nice thing to happen. So I wonder if any of you have got any experience of being an outsider. And if you have, I wonder how that has affected you. So just uh, a a tiny example from me. Many years ago, I told my children for the first time that I thought I was being called towards ordination. And the eldest uh, said, Mum, I've got a question. She didn't say to me, Mum, are we going to have to change school? She didn't say to me, are we going to have to move and live somewhere else? She is her mother's daughter. She's not here today, fortunately for her. But she said to me, how can you think of working for an organization that doesn't allow women bishops? Interesting. Her first perception was, would be that I wouldn't fit. Very, very interesting. But at a much more significant level, even though at the moment, theoretically, we welcome refugees to the UK, all the time they have to remain as asylum seekers, they can't work. They can't be involved in society. They are excluded. They can't afford the basic necessities of life. It's really hard coming coming here and thinking it's going to be amazing and then finding it really, really difficult just to put clothes on your family's backs. So our reality today is actually there are many, 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 many more examples of people who are outsiders. We are surrounded by people who feel outsiders, people who are outsiders, and everything in between. And what we need to do is to look and to listen and to take notice. So if we fast forward to the New Testament, we see Jesus picking up on this theme of God's love for the outsider. And there's a, a great bit in Luke 4, which we'll just have a brief look at. Uh, where somebody, well, no one says to Jesus, but you can imagine somebody interviewing him and saying, what are you here for? What is your purpose in life? And this is what he says. This is sometimes called the Nazareth Manifesto. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the great news for us is that following Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and the sending of the Holy Spirit, we Gentile outsiders are included in this year of Jubilee and are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And if that's something that you haven't experienced yet, do come and chat to me or Jonathan at the end. Okay, so so far we've seen how experiencing God's hesed loving kindness from others helps us to encounter God for ourselves. And we've been reminded that God has a particular heart for outsiders of all shapes and sizes. So we've done hesed, we've done outsiders, and now we come to the crunch moment of wither. I love the fact that that's a kind of wiggly sign. Sometimes it's not always completely clear where we're supposed to go. So my question to you is, why does Orpah choose to return to her people, whereas Ruth clings to Naomi and begs not to be sent away? I think it's because Ruth has recognized something really special in Naomi and in Naomi's God. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, might, described it as Ruth, might have described it as Ruth being strangely warmed by the Holy Ghost. Whatever language we, tr- we choose, Ruth recognized that hesed loving kindness of God and dared to believe that she as an outsider would be welcomed within it, could be included within it. That was Ruth's moment of truth, her crunch point. She'd heard God's call to be loyal to Naomi and she realized there was a cost. She knew she'd she'd need to leave everything behind, her wider family, her country. She'd probably have to give up the chance of another marriage and probably children to devote herself to a life of service to Naomi and to Naomi's God. And so we return to her response which is where we started at the beginning. Whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Decades ago, hearing those verses, something stirred in me that has never been extinguished. That special word, whither, or whereto, has been a constant question that I've asked of the Lord over the years. Most recently, it's brought me and my husband to Coventry Diocese to work alongside others to help restore health in churches afflicted by the pandemic and to help others start new worshipping communities, as Jonathan has alluded to. But along the way, it's been grounded in encounters with God's Hesed, God's loving kindness, both through others and on my own which has melted my heart slowly and surely towards sharing that love, that amazing love of God in Christ with those who are in whatever way outsiders. So back in Moab, Naomi realises that she can't persuade Ruth to leave, and so they both continue to Bethlehem. When she gets there, Naomi's in such a bad way that she asks for her name to be changed to Mara claiming that God has made her life very bitter and she laments her tragic fate. But, it's a great word in the Bible, isn't it? But God has other plans. In brief, the deaths of Naomi's husband and her sons are redeemed as Ruth marries Naomi's kinsman redeemer called Boaz and together they have a son, Obed, who goes on to be David's, King David's grandfather and one of the direct forebears of Jesus Christ himself. So although in Naomi's mind her tragedy makes her think God is punishing her, that's not what's going on at all. God weaves together the faithful obedience of Ruth and Boaz, not only to provide restoration and healing for Naomi and her family, but more importantly to be part of God's redemptive purposes for the whole world. Hallelujah. Isn't it amazing? So if you've enjoyed the story of Ruth, uh, do have a look, uh, either read the next three chapters or go online to something called The Bible Project. This is a fantastic resource. Basically, there's a little video summary of every single book in the Bible. So, you know, if you get asked to preach or you get asked to lead something or just if you're just curious, have a look. They're really, really good. And you can find out how much I made up for myself and how much I got from there. So where have we got with answering the question How can we encounter God and how can we help others to do so? That was the question we started with. So those three letters, H-O-W, heset. Let's delight in the fact that we can experience and encounter God's loving kindness through God's and others' extraordinary self-giving actions as well as intimate encounters with God for ourselves. But God's Hesed, his loving kindness, is such a precious gift. So have a think about who else can you share this Hesed love with? The second thing, outsiders. Give thanks and celebrate that God has welcomed us into his family. And outsiders have a very, very special place in God's heart. So who are the outsiders that you meet? And how might you have encounters with God together? And finally, my favorite word, wither. God calls and he promises to equip. What is God's call on your life today? And are you brave enough, with his help, to respond? Let me end with a shameless plug. In this day and in this place, as we here at St. Paul's become a mission hub church I believe that God is calling us to share his hesed his loving kindness with the many outsiders that we encounter in our wider life whether it's here whether it's at work whether it's at home so if today you hear his voice if now is your wither moment please come and join me and Jonathan in this exciting adventure of nurturing new worshipping communities to the glory of God in Lemington and beyond. Amen.